Hello, and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast coming to you from Casa de Quinn Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Matt Haver. And I'm Greg Heilman. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week we'll bring you an entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, and interview talented local actors and directors. Today we welcome to the show our friend, actor, dancer, director, choreographer, and Western Washington Center for the Arts all-star Rebecca Ewan. Rebecca Ewan started her stage career at two months old, portraying baby Jesus in the church pageant. She received rave reviews when she was photographed pointing upward toward heaven. Growing up in a musical family, Rebecca performed in multiple community theater shows each year. She attended Central Washington University and received a bachelor's degree in theater, and since graduating, has choreographed and directed countless shows at WWCA, including summer children's workshops. She's appeared in too many shows to name here, but some of her favorites include The Snow Queen, Urinetown, Beauty and the Beast, and Little Shop of Horrors. Her favorite directing credits include Dog Sees God, Romeo and Juliet, Pippin, and The Rocky Horror Show. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you for having me. We're so glad you're here. So you grew up in a very artistic, theatrical family. Yes, I did. So was performing acting specifically a given growing up in the type of family you grew up in maybe you can tell us a little bit about your family background yeah uh it was definitely a given because it was what my parents were doing on the weekends and stuff like that so we would we'd be going with them anyways and uh we all really enjoyed doing it me and my siblings um and we would do almost every show that my parents uh were a part of and uh we were never like obligated to audition for anything though if we wanted to take time off and do a sport or something like that they were always my parents were always really supportive of that kind of thing uh but I think they definitely liked that we enjoyed doing it and I loved growing up and spending so much time with my family and my siblings and I think it's a giant reason we're so close now as adults So having acted throughout your life and working with kids and adults of all ages what advice do you have for young people who are considering maybe a career in theater or the performing arts? Don't do it. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, no, I think that a career is is really difficult. And uh, to be an actor, your whole day job is auditioning, plus your side work to be able to pay your rent. Um, and it really takes a certain kind of person to try to do professional theater. That being said, I really encourage people to at least do it as a hobby, even if you don't pursue uh, uh, education in it or a career. And I loved, I loved going to theater school. I learned so much. And I, I think I learned a lot about people and psychology. And that was um, a really great experience. Uh, so if you really love it and you really want to do it and you really feel okay promoting yourself and putting yourself out there and really working hard at it, then absolutely go for it. But if you just want to do it as a hobby, I think that's also a really great thing. I think that doing community theater at any age, you know, as a child, you learn public speaking skills, you gain friends, you um, come out of your shell and really can feel more comfortable. And, And a lot of people go on to be really successful adults just because they have that experience. So when when people are looking at shows, and this would be at any any level. So when you if, if you're in a job interview or or you want to get a job, 
they always say interview, 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 practice, mm-hmm. you know, which, yeah. which gives you that practice. Is it the same thing with theater that it's just, uh, even if you don't necessarily want, um, have a role in mind, just audition, audition, audition. Yes. That's- Every opportunity. And nowadays too, you have to do so much, um, virtual promotion of yourself as well. So that adds a whole nother layer to it. And that's something, you know, that you're technically doing in your free time. And it's just, it's a lot of work. Now, you're known for uh, many things locally, most of all your musicals mm-hmm. down at WWCA. What do you think is the difference between producing and directing a musical versus a standard stage show? A lot more time goes into a musical because you have to have music rehearsals and dance rehearsals. And um, usually you have a bigger cast than doing um, a non-musical. Uh, so yeah, a lot more time, a lot more effort, um, dancing and singing can be more challenging for community members. They tend to be more confident in their acting skills for starting out. So, um, people need to learn a lot more in musicals a lot of the time. Um, whereas I, I do love doing non-musicals like Romeo and Juliet and Dog Sees God, but my favorite thing about doing non-musicals is choosing the soundtrack to represent the characters and cover the scene changes. And that's something I feel like you get a little more freedom to express yourself. And yeah. Now I've been involved in a few musicals that you've directed and Matt, you were about to, I was uh, about to the last time we were together uh, uh, in the theater. There was doing choreography for little shop of horrors. Yeah. We got the whole thing choreographed. And oh man. She just... had me up there dancing in the aisles and into the audience. And <laughs> oh, man, it was a blast. Yeah. She, she can get anybody to dance. That's a, <laughs> I believe um, it. <laughs> but so there's so many, so many components to that there's costuming, there's choreography, there's music, there's acting with, with blocking and, and things like that. And, and I'm sure they all have their own challenges. Which of those do you a enjoy the most and B find the most challenging? I love teaching people how to dance. Dancing was harder for me when I was younger. My sister was always a better dancer than me. So I just kind of struggled with it a little more. So when I'm teaching people how to dance, I like to think that I can be a lot more patient and really break it down with them because I understand how hard it is and scary it is. And so I have an easier time with that. I do not like music rehearsals. <laughs> so I have other people handle those. Um, I get, harmonies come really easy to me, so it's frustrating. I, I don't know how to teach them to other people because they come so easy to me. So I'm like, I don't understand why you can't hear that. Why don't you have it after hearing it <laughs> once? And so I'm, I'm not as patient. So I try to stay away from the music rehearsals. Well, at WWCA, it's such a, a small stage compared to a number of the other theaters in the county. What do you do? I mean, do you do anything special or you obviously have to keep that in mind when you're when you're staging, especially at big productions. I'm thinking, you know, Pippin, we had 30 some odd people on stage. Mary Poppins was a large cast, especially in the ensembles. What do you do or how do you plan or anything special to make sure that you can get the story across with the amount of people that you need to do that with in such a tiny space? I try to give people lots of things to do cuts down on their boredom and stuff like that as well but also you know you don't need I don't need one person to do everything someone you know can play a couple roles and that saves me on my space on stage because I also have to consider sets and stuff like that we don't have a lot of room for transitioning our sets so yeah it's I I like to give people more to do and cast fewer people we don't use the term small 
we call it intimate, intimate. or cozy. It's, yeah. <laughs> Now, speaking of the teaching that you've done, uh, you guys do summer camps for kids, and you and your mom are both involved in that, correct, mm-hmm. Jan? Um, how do you direct children of different ages and different acting abilities and skill levels and singing ability into one cohesive show? Well, it starts with picking the right show. You know, I'll see the kids that I have coming back each year, and I'll try to pick shows that offer bigger roles for them. And then I use my older kids to help teach the younger kids, you know, instead of telling them, like, facts about why it's called uh, upstage or something like that, I let the other kid, the older kids answer. And they love that they know the answer, and the younger kids remember it better because the older kids know it. And trying to pair the kids, the ones that are more experienced with the ones that are new, and give them someone to teach and rely on, you know. Do you have any, any piece of advice for someone who's on the younger end, starting out with an audition process or trying to get into, into theater? Uh, don't be afraid to come in and sing happy birthday. If you don't know what you're supposed to prepare or what 16 bars is or anything like that, yeah, I, think, I think it's gotten easier now that people can just look up karaoke tracks and sing a wider variety of things rather than having to look for sheet music that they may not necessarily be able to read. Don't be afraid to come in and just sing happy birthday. You know, get your foot in there. All I need to do is hear if you have good pitch. And even sometimes if you don't have good pitch, I'm going to let you try it. You know, I try to involve as many people and not say no as much as I can. Uh, because, yeah, it's a learning opportunity for people. And everyone should be able to do theater. If they want to try it, they deserve to try it. One more thing I want to add to that, actually, though, is if you don't get in the first show you audition for, don't be deterred from trying again because sometimes it's just too small of a cast and there's not enough space. That's specifically one of WWCA's problems. It's not necessarily that you didn't do a good job and that I wouldn't cast you in the future. It just didn't work out that time. So don't be afraid to try again. And there are non-singing roles in Mm -hmm. musicals as well. Absolutely. So speaking of musicals, so now shifting gears. So Rebecca, as the consumer of media, what is your favorite musical to see? Uh, I have two, uh, Pippin and Cabaret. And how about your least favorite? The Secret Garden. <laughs> I think there's some inside <laughs> joke here. Is that? I really. That, that's something that's that's uh, anybody who spent any time with Rebecca at WWCA knows knows that. Um, so not a secret. I hate The Secret Garden. Great music, beautiful music. I really, really love the music, but the story, the plot, is so poorly written, and. Really, who wants to sit there for three hours listening to two bratty kids complain about living in a mansion? <laughs> right? Just not a story that gets gets me. That's a, <laughs> the worst elevator pitch I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I mean, I'm not wrong, right? Like that's, No, you're not. <laughs> but Don't the music walk, is beautiful. Really, really beautiful music. So from a directing standpoint, what is your favorite music to, musical to direct? Hmm. Well, Pippin is my favorite that I have directed. Um, I'm a huge fan of Bob Fosse. And Cabaret is the one that I really want to direct. That's the next one. Yeah, they're my two favorite shows, but and they both obviously were originally choreographed by Bob Fosse. But I just love the stories, and I feel like they're very important stories, as Cabaret especially in this time. When you're looking at musicals to direct, because you've directed... 
uh, musicals from as far as I can tell almost every different era that that they've had musicals and when you choose a musical to do because you can't obviously do everyone what do you use to consider that what what is kind of your criteria of the musical that you want to do that particular year for instance a lot of it's based on who I have currently in my audition pool and who I think I can get because I want to make sure I'm doing shows I can cast I also try to choose a variety um, you know, like doing doing Junie B. Jones and Rocky Horror in the same time frame so that, like, you know, adults have a musical and the kids have a musical and stuff like that. Don't get that cast confused. Uh, <laughs> it was weird rehearsing both of them at the same time. I'd have back-to-back rehearsals. And going from the kids to the adults was a big shift in how you direct. Billy, where's your fishnets? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. What are some of the challenges locally? Because we have a lot of people who are probably listening and thinking, man, I'd like to get, sounds like fun. I've been listening. I've been learning. I'd like to get out there next time when things open back up. What are some of the casting challenges that you have? I know that uh, we spoke with Jeffrey Bassett, and he said there's just no guys. Yeah, guys is a huge issue, especially in musicals. Their guys are okay with acting, but um, not a lot of them are as comfortable singing and dancing, and that's a hard thing to find. Does that also go for the youngsters? Do you get a lot more girls involved than boys? Absolutely, because girls, girls love that stuff. And guys, I, you know, the, the ones I do get are talented and they're great. And I, um, I love training them and watching them grow up, but it, it's way more difficult. I'll have, you know, if we have 30 kids in our summer musical, I'd say maybe five are guys. Wow. You know, if I'm lucky, I'll get seven or something like that. So, but that's just more roles for the girls, you know, because they get to play the bull roles. So, so as a director, when you look at a, a, a show from start to finish, what piece of that is usually the most rewarding for you that you can step back and say that really makes me either proud or happy or I'm glad it turned out that way overall I'd say when they do a big number and their harmonies are strong and they just hit that end pose and you just see the like joy in their faces but more specifically it's when I see a certain actor that I've been working with who overcomes something that was really difficult for them and then they're really proud of themselves and they and watching that growth in that person is by far the most rewarding and addicted to theater mm-hmm, at that point mm-hmm. they'll be coming back i remember the first time quinn ran off stage after his first number and the sheer joy i had to try to keep him quiet he was so excited he was like that was the best moment of my life and i was like <laughs> Awesome, but shh. <laughs> uh, I can honestly say, I, having never done a musical since probably church, that's the most singing and dancing I've done on stage in decades. Probably the most dancing ever was with you, and I learned a ton just in the few uh, you know uh, rehearsals we got to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, Pippin, I think, was the first time I really ever danced. And then when I was in Mary Poppins, not just singing, but learning to sing with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of that in, in Pippet in the ensemble, but as more of a lead in Mary Poppins and, and having never really sung in front of people by myself before was really uh, challenging. But I mean, you, with, with the process that you had in place made it really easy to, to pick that up and, and kind of just run with it. So. so what has been the biggest challenge theatrically with the COVID shutdown and what are you most looking forward to when things open up again? For WWCA, our, of course, our biggest challenge is just paying our rent. Obviously, a lot of our income was from ticket sales. 
we're lucky that we were doing very, very well before COVID, uh, the shutdown. Um, specifically after Susicle, that was a really successful show. Our last couple of years have been really successful and we appreciate the support of our community on that one for sure. Everyone's really been coming out that we've been doing okay. Um, and our landlord has been having our rent. Um, Halving so, Having. Nice. Yes, we've only That's been wonderful. paying half rent. We're really lucky for that. But yeah, it's just trying to keep on top of our normal bills and wait it out and hope that we can still have our space. The thing about WWCA, though, is that we're not we're not the building. We're the community. And no matter what, if if worse comes to worse and we lose our building, we're still going to come back once we can open up. We'll just be in a different space. Hopefully not. I love that building. It's so, so special. Well, it's a landmark down there. For sure. Well, What's... and I used to walk through the walls. Like, I remember building this theater and everything that's gone into it over the years since I was in seventh grade. And... uh you know, I'd be really sad, but it is just a building. I have to remind myself that. <laughs> so for our listeners who want to support WWCA, what's yes. the easiest way to do that? The easiest way is just go straight to our website and you can scroll down and there is a donate button that'll take you um, to donate via PayPal. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thanks, Rebecca. Um, I think you're going to stick around for our next segment, our In the Mix segment, where we're going to uh, mix up a drink related to something to know that's near and dear to you and the drink is called the time warp so guess what we're going to talk about when we come back on Highland and Haver and welcome back to Highland and Haver now is the time for a segment we like to call in the mix where our resident mixologist Mr. Heilman will be preparing a special cocktail has prepared a special cocktail they're sitting in front of us they're gorgeous and today it's in honor of the cult classic that graced the stage at WWCA in 2016 and 18 a Halloween favorite a perennial favorite a cult classic the Rocky Horror Picture Show and this drink is called what Mr. Heilman the time warp the time warp and maybe our guest, Rebecca Ewan, would like to fill us in on the significance of the title, The Time Warp, once we've tasted it. Let's taste it. Ooh, wow. It is good. Mm-hmm. I so, second that. for those uh, scoring at home, melon liqueur, Midori melon liqueur, Malibu rum, pineapple juice, blue curacao, and raspberry cordial. And these are we'll in martini the, glasses tonight. These are in martini glasses. Yeah, we'll so have you a can, photo can, and a yep. recipe up on the website. You can put them in whatever glass you have. Doesn't matter. Um, as long as you enjoy it, tastes the same. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we'll post the we'll post the recipe online um, with show notes. So, Rebecca, tell us about the time warp. What is the significance of that name for this drink? I mean, speaking of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, the time warp is the most popular song in Rocky Horror Show, and the easiest to dance to. And I mean, Rocky Horror, uh, for those living under a rock who are unfamiliar with this show, <laughs> has set a lot of records. Uh, arguably one of the most famous musicals of all time, the longest running movie in syndication of all time. I'm reading all this stuff in prep for the show tonight. And, uh, it's, it really has become a cultural phenomenon in its Mm -hmm. own right. It's, it's one of those things. You'll go to a a theater, a movie theater, they'll show the movie version of it. People would dress, you know, bring all kinds of things. Just like when we, um, the stage show, which I had never seen any version of Rocky Horror before the 2018 show at WWCA. 
So I was under a rock. Uh, most people are probably familiar with Rocky Horror Picture Show, the film version with, of course, Tim Curry, um, immortalized Tim Curry. Uh, we were arguing about what the best role he has done. That's impossible uh, to, to come to a conclusion on that one. I'm a big fan of Clue. Greg's a big fan of Muppet Treasure Muppet Island. Treasure Island? Yeah. yeah. Long John Silver. Is this your favorite Tim Curry role? Yeah. Yeah. He did do a really amazing episode of Criminal Minds, though. Uh, oh. Yeah. Now, was this a, a, a personal thing that to, to bring this to WWCA? Is this something that you've just enjoyed forever and wanted to bring it? Or was it, or did something else initiate the decision to bring Rocky Horror? It was actually because I got so many requests for it. Over the <laughs> years, people kept saying they wanted to do it. And obviously, it doesn't really fit into our normal season for our normal season ticket holders. And I love Halloween. It's my favorite. Obviously, my birthday was a couple days ago. Halloween is the best time of year. Happy birthday. Thank you. 32. Ugh. Anyways, I, I yeah, lots of people wanted to do it. And so I wanted to do something special for Halloween back in 2016. And so we threw it in there and it was successful. Well, I think it has to be a special show like that because it is off schedule. And it's only, I think it was only two weekends. The first time we did it, it was four shows. So we did like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The second time we did it, we did it for two weekends. So a li- either way, a limited run compared to the other shows at the, at the theater. It's a, hard, it's a hard show to run for five weekends. Yeah, I'm sure. But I think just it's, it's still a lot of work to yeah. prepare. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it shows how, how love the show is that you're willing to put that same amount of work in for a shorter run. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now, did you do the version where you're, you have the movie playing behind? No. Okay, so this is strictly no. the stage version. This is so. us acting it out, say, actually saying the lines, playing the characters, rather than just impersonating them in front of the movie. And what was the response from the community? I mean, this is a, there's got to be challenges to casting and promoting a, a, a stage show that some people still see as very controversial, even in 2020. You know, I was actually... Uh, pleasantly surprised um, for the demographic of our turnout. I expected a lot of youth, and it ended up being more adults who grew up going to the movie. Um, when you know, and when it originally came out, you know, those fans were the people who came and really enjoyed seeing it live in that way. Is there a challenge with licensing with a show like this that that does come out? every year in some way, shape, or form at theaters? Actually, that's the reason we didn't do it two years in a row. The, re- the original reason we waited two years in between was because it was touring the second year around. So we had originally planned to do it two years in a row, and then we had to wait a year to do it. So overall, what do you think is the, the, the cult appeal and the fascination with Rocky Horror? People who haven't even seen the movie or seen the stage show probably have heard of it. What, what do you think that, what spawned from that? Is it just the controversy? The, the, the music is, is just that amazing? Um, I definitely was because of how risque it was, I think, at the time. And it gave people um, an outlet and a community that they felt uh, they could be themselves and be more accepted in. And it opened up a lot of opportunities for people to express who they were through it. And then it's fun. And to get that community, people, there's a lot of people who continuously go see it. And it's a, like a tradition for them. And they have groups of friends that they go with and stuff like that. So I think that that community of it and the familiarity of being a part of that cult group who likes the show. Yeah, I think that's. It is definitely a team sport. When you go to yes. see Rocky Horror. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not just a viewer. You've got to be a participant, well, yeah, it, whether you like it or not. And <laughs> it's a weird thing, too, to be on the stage doing it. You know how you, you have to hold for laughs in a normal show, right? And, and that changes based on your audience. 
and how receptive they are. But for Rocky Horror, it's totally different because you don't know. You don't know if they're going to yell every single thing at you or if they're going to yell nothing at you. So you really have to adapt to your audience and be ready to be heckled. You know, you're, everybody now <laughs> you're up there wearing very little clothing and they're saying very, you know, sexual things towards you. And you just got to be OK with it. Be a professional. And it's fun. Well, how many times have you uh, directed yourself? Uh, you said you stepped in second one. I've never cast myself originally in a show, um, but I have had to step in a lot. Uh, sometimes just for one show, and that's really nice. Sometimes for one act to cover a dancing role. But there have been other times where I've stepped in and had to do the full run. I feel like only twice I've had to step in and do the entire run of a show. Do you find that challenging? I hate it so much. Um, because it's hard to... It's hard to watch everybody else and be directing them while you're trying to focus on what you're doing and then you feel like you haven't done enough preparation and you're behind i remember being on stage during uh hot patootie and it was like our preview night or something and i realized when we started doing the song that i'd never practiced doing it as janet i'd only been standing in front of everyone doing it doing the dance and i was like oh my god i didn't even think about what i'm supposed to do in the scene it was a it's it's a it puts a lot more on your plate and you know memorizing lines and all that stuff a whole new responsibility and i i prefer to watch everybody else succeed well when you have a show like that that's so well known by so many people when you cast it and you bring uh, the folks in to play these parts do you do you find that they mirror what they've seen before do they tend to change the characters most times in in shows you're cast as a character but you kind of make that your own create your own backstory things like that. but these things especially with a show like this have so much history and and time behind them do you find the same thing that or or that people just pretty much stay with hey this character is like this in the movie so i'm going to be like this Sometimes, and sometimes people want to see the specific bit that's from the movie, the way that they reacted in the movie. Uh, but I do think there were, I had a few actors who really put their own spin on their characters, and I enjoyed that. It's fun to be able to see different people portraying different parts and taking it their own ways and really experimenting with it. So are these the craziest costumes? We were talking a little bit about costumes during the break. Are these mm -hmm. the craziest costumes in any show that you've done? Yes. You just have so much more freedom. And I'd say Pippin costumes are really were really fun to do, and those were crazy as well because you have a lot of freedom in that show. But Rocky Horror is definitely the like most scantily clad one, mm -hmm. for sure. A lot of my cast took a lot of freedoms in their costumes, and they just turned out so cool. So I liked doing costumes for that. I feel like people had so much room to be creative and do whatever they wanted. And I didn't say no to a lot either. It's like, well, you want to work? Sure. So this is a show for the adventurous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's the spirit of it, you know? Well, for all the Rocky Horror uh, Picture Show fans out there and Tim Curry fans, uh, it's, it's interesting, the timing, because our, this is our Halloween show. Uh, it's launching on Friday the 30th, uh, so tomorrow is Halloween. And Tim Curry, who, again, uh, has been disabled by a stroke um, a few years back, is actually going to be making a public appearance, uh, one of his first um, in a really long time, uh, a part of a live stream to benefit Wisconsin Democrats with a whole bunch of other uh, celebrities. Uh, it says, according to The Hollywood Reporter, I'm reading from Vulture uh, right now here at Vulture.com, uh, he's going to be joined by co-stars from the 75 film Barry Bostwick and Nell Campbell, who played Brad Majors and Columbia, respectively, for a live stream of Rocky Horror. 
They're going to be joined by Wilder, uh, Wilmer Valderrama, Lance Bass, Rosario Dawson, uh, Jason George, Seth Green, Jason Alexander, Taylor Schilling, and David Arquette, among others. And uh, it sounds like a, a fun event. Yeah. Uh, that's actually happening the evening of... Uh, Halloween, so 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, we'll post the link if you wanna if you wanna jump in. You can donate any amount and uh, and get in on this this live event. So it sounds like it's gonna be a good time. Yeah, that's right on the heels of uh, we were talking before. Jack Black and Tenacious D did a kind of an all star uh, time warp um, for the Get Out the Vote. Uh, campaign. So that was so good. I think we'll have to post that link as well. And we will. Yeah. We're just going to be all Rocky Horror all if the time. If you haven't seen it yet, it's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be in the show notes. Uh, so everybody check that out. I think we need to make another one of these and possibly listen to Jack Black's version. In our next segment, uh, it's going to be our In the News segment, and we're actually going to return to a, um, a subject from our episode two of Heilman and Haver In the News, and we're uh, going to play a, a segment from Greg's interview with uh, Michael Goodnow. He's the COO of Faraway Entertainment and uh, the parent company of the historic Roxy Theater in Bremerton. We're going to talk about COVID, and we're also going to talk uh, about the impact of US v. Paramount on local theaters. So join us, come right back for more on Heilman and Haver. Welcome back to Heilman and Haver. As Matt teased in the previous segment, um, we're gonna revisit a topic that we talked about in episode two, the US versus Paramount decision uh, which, uh, for a little refresher, broke up the studio system in Hollywood, uh, forced studios to divest their interest in theaters and the dispu- distribution chain. We talked about the history of that and the recent overturning of it in light of um, a number of direct-to-streaming movies and, and things like that. We had the opportunity to uh, get the perspective of a local theater by interviewing Michael Goodnow, COO of Faraway Entertainment, the parent company of the Historic Roxy Theater, among others in Kitsap County and throughout Washington. And he was able to talk to us about that a little bit, U.S. versus Paramount, the uh, implications of COVID and how that impacted their theater, and a little bit of background and context on how theaters and studios interact and and things like that. So it was a good discussion. I'm going to play a, a small part of it here. If you want to hear the entire interview, we'll have that posted up on our YouTube channel. Welcome to Heilman Haver on the Road. Tonight we're coming to you from the beautiful Roxy Theater in downtown Bremerton, Washington. And with us is Michael Goodnow, Operating Officer of Faraway Entertainment. Um, with the COVID, COVID pandemic impacting theater chains and local theaters alike, uh, we're looking forward to hearing from uh, Michael to get his perspective on um, what it's been like during the shutdown, what the challenges have been um, in, the, in, the, in the current environment. And as things get opened up, what does it look like now and what does the future look like beyond the current uh, pandemic situation? And additionally, on episode two of the Highland and Haver podcast, we discussed the uh, U.S. versus Paramount decision and uh, the breaking up of the studio system and the divesting of the um, theater and distribution chains from the studios. And we'd like to, uh, we're going to talk to Michael about some thoughts on that and um, potentially how that might affect the uh, local theater landscape. So welcome, Michael. Thanks for having me. So um, we're looking forward to getting your perspective on this, uh, these things, but if you wouldn't mind just for the listeners, uh, a quick little introduction and, and bio and maybe uh, some info on the Roxy Theater. Sure, absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite uh, subjects. Uh, 
Uh, like, like you mentioned, my name is Michael Goodnow, and I'm an operating officer for Faraway Entertainment. We operate uh, eight uh, theaters in the Puget Sound, and uh, one of them is the Roxy. Roxy's a little unique in that it also has a nonprofit partner. So there's a nonprofit that's actively working to purchase the building to be able to sustain the uh, theater into the future. Uh, theater opened in 1941 uh, in the spring Memorial Day weekend, and it had. Um, uh, you know, it had a great run, and then, you know, in the 80s started to, I think it was the 80s, uh, uh, you know, end up shutting down permanently as a theater, operated as a church for a little while. Uh, probably three-ish years, three or four years ago, uh, local developers uh, uh, purchased the building, uh, purchased uh, other buildings on the street here, and to help revitalize the area, uh, they saw the Roxy as an important uh, sort of gem in that, in that build, in that uh redevelopment so the, the future of it will also be uh the street becoming quincy square named after quincy mm. jones who discovered music uh here in bremerton but the uh, theater has a great history uh frank sinatra has been here bing crosby's been here uh and of course you know uh, lots of movies throughout the year we've got a state-of-the-art projection we have a, the only laser projector i think in kitsap county uh, we have a fantastic dolby 7.1 surround system uh, we just put in um uh, all new seats on the main floor, and we're hoping to uh, eventually uh, fund uh, re replacing the seats in the balcony. And uh, one of the reasons it's a little chilly in here right now is we're in the middle of upgrading our HVAC system. Uh, the building's never had air conditioning, had a giant swamp cooler in the attic. Uh, so, uh, but uh, we've got uh, uh, some of the heating uh, sides down. We're also making uh, improvements uh, with uh, filters and fresh air exchange and things like that. Uh, to kind of uh, uh, be part of our sort of uh, uh, protocols for opening in this uh, uh, time during the pandemic. That's nice as we walked around here and we're, and we're looking for places to set up. It really does give you the feel of, of kind of that old timey theater. Um, we have some of the old you know seats sitting here and um, a lot of uh, what, what looks to me like original um, pieces. Um, and then, you know, mixing that with modern technology, bringing it up to kind of a you know, modern day comfort level is, and, and the projection system is really nice. It's a fantastic place to see a movie. We have 500 seats in there. So right now there's plenty of social distancing available. Uh, and again, it's, it's the, you know, the big screen, the big, the, the big auditorium, it's built with all this great Northwest timber. It's just solid. It's not drop ceiling tiles and, and drywall walls. It's a solid building, and uh, you'll have to stay after and uh, take in the next movie and, and be able to really see what that what that the sound does in this building. It's fantastic. Yeah, I think I think we're definitely planning on doing that. You're showing Tenant right now. Yeah, it'll be our last showing of Tenant. So. Okay, so yeah, we're gonna stick around there, and if we're lucky, maybe we'll get our first Heilman and Haver movie review. There you um, go. After that, yeah. Um, yeah, well, so in the second episode of, of the Heilman and Haver podcast, we discussed the. Uh, the ruling from the 1940s, the uh, U.S. versus Paramount, that um, ostensibly broke up the studio system, where the studios owned the theaters, owned the distribution chain, exerted all you know, amounts of control, um, decide, you know, deciding what to, uh, what to show and putting pressure on smaller theaters. Um, given that that was um, overturned um, in August, so that there's really no... no um, legal limits to what studios can do and then also given the you know increased amount of direct to streaming service or 
um, direct to uh, video um, releases. Now, obviously, with with the pandemic and COVID, things have been it's been a different landscape. But uh, coming out of that, um, obviously, I think things um, could potentially uh, change. Do you do you believe that from what you're seeing, th- this trend of direct to streaming and um, studios? Um, more con- controlling more of where they distribute their films is going to change that landscape as we come out of this? Yeah, that that's really interesting. And I, I think my quick answer would be, I hope not. Um, I mean, I, I do think this is a, uh, I mean, this is a pandemic-related business decision for them. And although we'd like them to have held out and just, you know, had the most incredible film selection afterwards, you know, you look at a Disney and they launched Disney Plus and they need content. And so content wasn't rolling off of theaters uh, to the, the video on demand platform and things like that. Um, and we, I feel like we had been seeing um, studios like Amazon and Netflix, um, you know, uh, either doing limited releases uh, or um, they obviously produce a lot of content that never stops in theaters. One thing about that is, uh, you know, if you've got a film that you're interested in for awards, Oscars, or you know, you have to you have to get the the in theater play. Um, I don't I don't know. Uh, I, I I think that we we may see shorter windows. We're kind of seeing that right now, where a film might be in theaters and then go to uh, video on demand faster. Uh, in fact, there's a film that we almost ran. We almost opened with t- yesterday. Uh, sorry, yesterday, tomorrow, that we uh, that was being released to theaters at the same time as going live on I think Apple Plus, and it, that's just a tough business call for us be- right now because we right now we do need people who are you know want to come out and experience a movie here. Yeah. Um, so if they can get it there, maybe that's where they should and will will adjust. So. Yeah, I think it's it's it, uh, from my perspective, it's going to be interesting now when Disney released Mulan they put the $30 price tag and we, we talked about that which seems at this point still to just be kind of a one-off maybe test to yeah. see how that played out but when you have a movie like Soul now from Pixar it's going to be released directly to streaming A that's going to change the award landscape to your point and B the financial um, landscape yes they don't have you know the studios don't have to share revenues with theaters but on the other hand um, it's it's a different financial model and we don't know how that's going to play when you talk about you know Avengers you know Infinity War right. Endgame uh, making billions of dollars versus how do you how do you match that to something that's released to streaming so it's going to be interesting to see if that financial model works and how that impacts whether you know the, this change coming out of this yeah i i I think i i think that uh i I think it's going to be in everyone's best interest to get back to as close to business as before as possible uh it's interesting that uh i don't know if you know that this was a united artists theater oh really Uh, so yeah so and i don't know if you you know bremerton had seven big movie houses back in the back in the day there was the you know obviously uh, people right now know the Admiral and the and of course the Roxy, and then you know Bay Bowl over in Manette was a th- big theater. Uh, the Charleston down on Callow was a um, uh, uh, the Grand. Uh, there was a Rex. There was a Rialto. Uh, yeah, so there were like seven big movie houses, and it's because of that 
that the studio who had their own cast of characters you know and directors and everything they made the movies they sent them to their theaters uh, and to get their movies shown they had to build a theater in the town so interesting yeah, yeah so that's a so, different perspective so, yeah, yeah. And, yeah and and uh i don't know if you kind of hit on this yet but so that's why one of the reasons i don't see the, the uh, removing the universal decision as that it, it, it's it's certainly not going to go back to the way it the way it was now you we i could see a an, an amazon wanting to have just by nature of you know their leadership you know wanting to have a big grand movie theater maybe in LA to do their own you know stuff or maybe one here in Seattle yeah, like Disney uh, has with El Capitan yeah like yeah. I guess the difference is like Amazon could buy the the uh, Cinerama yeah and it could be a showcase for their films and other you know so with it which the, the that wouldn't have kind of been allowed so there's there's some things but there's also a lot of anti-trade things have happened uh, th- there's there's other things that have been put in place that I think will uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. I think we're seeing this as too big of a, a threat, at least at this point. Yeah, and and the business landscape has definitely changed. I mean, in the 1940s and the early part of the century, it was almost the norm where you had you know newspaper barons and you had people that yeah. were exerting all sorts of influence. And things these days, there's so much scrutiny over every business decision that's made. I would think that if if one of the studios tried to exert some sort of excess influence. They'd be called out on it, right? Pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, although, yeah, it's interesting. There's some uh, some areas of business that are not being allowed that, and there's other areas that are just taking off with that. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think before we wrap up, you mentioned the not for profit. Uh, do you have any more, um, you know, information on that? How people can help out? Or? Sure. Uh, we have a membership program that we're launching, uh, where you get some member perks and benefits, and it supports the theater. You can get your uh, we, on these new seats we just put in. You can get a nameplate on them that you know, uh, you know, to commemorate uh, or memorialize uh, something, or just tell somebody to move it's your seat uh, i don't know if i can enforce that but i could i'll i'll let you put anything you want on your your plaque uh and uh yeah so uh and we're getting ready to launch a capital campaign uh we're so the the we're the developer uh, refurbished the building and they're actually uh selling us the building for just the cost of the refurbishment so all the new electrical and upgrades and things like that that happened um, and we're probably going to try to launch a campaign to raise about a hundred thousand uh, dollars and that'll get us pretty close to the finish line we've got some commitments from uh, state arts funding uh, local uh, community foundations and uh, so we're 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 pretty confident and uh, yeah so Awesome. Well, thank you, Michael. We uh, definitely appreciate the time and the, your perspective. Uh, I think um, Mr. Haver and I are going to go uh, wrap this up and go take a look at Tenet before it Excellent. ends its run here. All right. Well, thanks All for right. having us. All thanks right. for coming to the Roxy. Anytime. Thanks so much. That was a portion of the interview I had last week with Michael Goodnow, CEO of Faraway Entertainment. If you'd like to see the whole video, Please visit our YouTube page and take a look at it. It was a fascinating discussion about a number of topics. Uh, thanks for your work on that interview, Greg. I was uh, very informative. And thanks to our guest, Michael Goodnow, COO of Faraway Entertainment and uh, the historic Roxy Theater, uh, another great local theater that you should all go out and support. Coming up next is our Curtain Call segment, the final segment of Heilman and Haver. We're excited to uh, throw some fun questions at our guest, uh, Rebecca Ewan. Thank you again for joining us, Rebecca. Uh, we'll be right back with Curtain Call right here on Heilman and Haver. 
And welcome back to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please tell a friend and join us on Facebook. And you can find us anywhere fine podcasts are found. Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. And uh, you can also find us right at our website, which is heilmanandhaver.podbean.com. So thanks to our guest today, Rebecca Ewan. We've had a lot of fun, and we've got a few more questions for you before you wrap things up here. So, Greg? Sure thing. So, Rebecca, what's the last thing you do before you step on stage or before the curtain goes up? I do a couple Tao breaths. It's kind of hard to explain over a podcast, but you raise your arms and you inhale. Uh, you go down and you exhale, and you exhale four times before coming back up again. It's a great way to catch your breath and slow down your heart rate and calm down a little bit before. It's actually a really good trick if you do a, uh, a like a really serious scene and you come off stage and you're having a hard time letting go of those emotions that you just do a couple doubt breaths and yeah. If you could work with one person, alive or deceased, who would you most like to work with? I think Neil Patrick Harris. He is my favorite. <laughs> Good old MPH. Yeah. What are, what are some of your favorite roles that he's had? Well, um, I mean, I love How I Met Your Mother, of course. Uh, and, you know, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I love all of his hosting stuff that he does for the Tonys and stuff like that. And the song Bigger and all that. I just, I find him very impressive. A lot of hosting, a lot of commercial work, too. Yeah. 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 And always very, very fun. Yeah. And I read his autobiography. And, and he's just a really, really genuine person. So... If someone was going to make your life into a film, who would you like to play you? I love Kate Hudson. Ah, yes. <laughs> We're not very similar, but she's my favorite, so. Now here's the kicker question. And before I ask that, I want to revisit the Neil Patrick Harris thing. Okay. And if you have not seen him play Count Olaf in oh, Lemony yeah. Snicket's series of Unfortunate Events, you have to see that. Amazing. Mm -hmm. It is fantastic. So, back, back on, uh, on topic. Matt asked, who would you like to play you? Who do you think would be cast? I feel like someone like Drew Barrymore, maybe. Oh, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. No slouch in her own right. Yeah. I like it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You've had a great time. And again, uh, if people would like to, to donate or support WWCA, uh, can you go ahead and throw that yes, info back yes. out for folks? Uh, you can donate on our uh, website at wwca.us scroll down and there's a donate button and any little bit helps excellent and we'll also post a link to uh the support me or the support page for uh for wca in the show notes so thank you again rebecca ewan and thank you to our associate producer quinn heilman coming up on our next episode on november 13th we're going to talk to local artist and bainbridge performing arts center instructor scott breitbarth about his upcoming film project film project at bpa the holiday classic the nutcracker until then please join the conversation on facebook and you can email us with thoughts and comments and suggestions at heilman and haver at gmail.com you can find us on itunes spotify and youtube and if you enjoy the show make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend. Don't forget to join us November 13th, and until the footlights come up again, thank you for supporting local theater and for joining us on Heilman and Haver.